The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted today to welcome to the show Michael Tellinger. Really looking forward to our discussion today. As Michael is involved in a fascinating discovery which potentially changes our understanding of the history and origins of man. We're talking here about the ancient megalithic stone circles in South Africa, the flagship of which is called Adam's Calendar. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Peter. Lovely to be talking to you, and I look forward to this chat. (laughs) So, first of all, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this. This is a relative recent discovery of ancient history. Uh, How did it all come about in the first place? Well, you know, this is the interesting thing, that it seems like a recent discovery, but actually it's not. The first references to these stone circles go back to the early 1500s, where the Portuguese settlers were, or Portuguese navigators were coming on shore in Africa from the Mozambican coast, meeting the native people and and coming across um, these many stone circular structures uh, which included Great Zimbabwe in those days and asking the native population you know who built these structures and they were told they didn't know who built them but it must be the work of the devil because uh, humans aren't capable of doing this these kind of things and uh, and then the the fascination with these stone circles continued throughout the centuries and uh, and really reached quite a peak in the mid-1800s until the late 1800s and into the early 1900s uh, with specifically one uh, English um, archaeologist who is one of my heroes um, called, um, 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 uh, oh goodness, now I've got a Bent, um, his surname is Bent, uh, his first name will come back to, you, come back to me now, and um, Theodore, Theodore Bent. And he excavated the, the stone circles of southern Africa extensively over an extended period of two years. And at that stage, already estimated there were about 4,000 of these stone circles scattered throughout uh, South Africa and Zimbabwe, also including Botswana. And then this went on to, uh, to um, estimates of about 20,000 by the, the, the mid-1970s. And uh, by the time I got involved, 
uh, the estimation went up to about a hundred thousand, and eventually two hundred thousand. And uh, you know, by the time I finished writing my last book, Temples of African Gods, we established, or I established, um, that there are way in excess of ten million of these stone circles that cover most of South Africa, pretty much all of Zimbabwe, and large parts of Botswana, Mozambique, and even beyond the Zambezi um, uh, into southern Zambia as well. So for those people who haven't had the opportunity to see your books, Temples of the African Gods and Adam's Calendar, which have just tremendous photographs of, of the circles and the stone structures, just, just give our listeners a, a bit of an overview of what it actually looks like. Yeah, well, we're dealing with, uh, as I described already, with a very large um, geographical area, uh, previously unimaginable. That's that's covered by these stone circular circular stone structures. Uh, they are of all shapes and sizes. Some of them are small, just a few meters across. The largest one we have found is uh, more than 150 meters in diameter. Some of them have very simple internal structures. Some of them are very complex internal structures. And then the fascinating thing is that all of these circular stone structures were at one stage connected, many of them still are uh, connected by what we now call these uh, channels. They, from aerial photographs, they look like, like, uh, like roads. They look like roads or paths or, or something like that. And, and therefore, um, historians have automatically jumped to the conclusion that these must be paths and they must have been built by the people about 200 years ago or so to drive their cattle on. And this is the kind of rubbish they put in their history books. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, without any kind of scientific backup or research, they just make stuff up and, and then go and print it and teach our children this kind of nonsense. Well, the scientific scrutiny of, of these uh, circular structures lead to completely different startling um, realization that we're dealing with an ancient advanced civilization that utilized sound and frequency for the generation of their energy. And, uh, and this is a spectacular discovery that we now have a lot of scientific support for. So before we go into the, the science of that, so what, what sort of historical age are we talking about? How old are these stones from the work you've done so far? Well, this is the fascinating thing, Peter, is that um, you know, rule number one of archaeology is that civilizations build on top of each other. And rule number two, which I always have to remind people of, is that proof of habitation does not constitute proof of construction. In other words, if you find a Bobby doll at Grand Central Station, it doesn't mean that that is the factory where they manufacture, manufacture Bobby dolls. Okay? And, and this is where a lot of our, our learned friends go wrong. Uh, what I'm really trying to tell you is that because of the immense age of these stone structures, and I must also point out at this stage that by far the large majority of these stone circles and the connecting channels and the thousands of miles of agricultural terraces that connect all of this stuff together, that cover entire mountains and large vast areas, most of it is still covered by soil. They lie covered by several feet and several meters of soil in some instances, and only a small percentage, a tiny fraction of these circular structures have been uh, reopened and reused. Now, the reason they've been reopened and reused is because of this thing of civilizations built on top of each other. And once this, uh, this ancient civilization was decimated 
and destroyed. Um, at this stage, the indi all indicators point to some sort of a flood event or a deluge, and I believe it is the same flooding or flood, great flood that the Bible refers to and many ancient cultures, pretty much all ancient civilizations talk about to this, talk about this great flood ev event. A lot, uh, there's a lot of evidence for that. Um, and then, uh, I'm, and I'm talking about 12, 13,000 years ago here, that, the flood at that point in time. And then we had this, this influx of, or reuse of, of, of small percentage of these stone structures, and some of them were re, re-excavated and, and re-unearthed and used for other purposes, and I mean completely different purposes to what the original intention was, and you can see it by the adaptations to many of these stone circular structures where they start putting doors and entrances into them, and they square off some of the structures and so forth. Um, and an important thing here, Peter, is that the original structures have no entrances and no doors or no entrances, which is which makes them absolutely unique and very, very particular in that design. So let's return back. So, so in terms of the, the actual age of the original civilizations, uh, yeah, yeah. where 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 are we? Yeah, at? yeah. Sorry, uh, uh, sometimes I get d distract myself. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> We, so we're talking about the, 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 a pre-flood era that goes back to close to 300,000 years ago and, uh, and what seems to be a continuous civilization that mined gold and everything they did revolved around the process of mining gold and other minerals. And then this disaster happened, this event that wiped out this entire civilization and this is where they disappeared, that they just vanished off the face of the earth. Uh, about 12,000 years ago. So we're looking at, in my opinion, the first settlements and the first evidence of modern humans, modern Homo sapiens, and they certainly were not primitive. They were not living in caves. They had advanced knowledge, advanced technology, and they were using it in a spectacular fashion almost 300,000 years ago. And how, I mean, uh, how do you actually, in terms of three, 300,000 years, how, how do you get that information? How, how do you know it's that length of time? You know, this is not a simple process and a simple answer. And uh, I always tell people that uh, my job here is to is really perform the, the same job that the guys in CSI do. I slowly but surely collect pieces of clues and little pieces of evidence and little items and artifacts and tools that that make no sense in the beginning and you have no idea what this thing is that you found and how it fits into the puzzle because you know we started off as I mentioned to you 500 years ago there was already a fascination with these stone structures and and very little is known about it except that they've been inhabited by many many civilizations as they come and go so the civilizations that left behind indicators to show you how many different civilizations they are and you start looking at all these different clues and pieces of, of, of the puzzle that start pointing towards a very ancient civilization uh, I'll give you uh, two or three uh, three very important um, uh, clues that that are you know scientifically quite sound the first one is uh, in 18, uh, 1895 1891 Theodore Bent wrote in his excavation of Great Zimbabwe that he found between one and a half and two meters of sediment inside of the stone walls 
to up to two meters of sediment that points to a gold mining civilization. Now, two meters of sediment inside a stone structure is not going to happen in a few hundred years, not, not even in a few thousand years, but in, in a long, long extended period of time. The other very important thing to look at is at the stone tools and the stone artifacts that I've been collecting and picking up that are completely out of the ordinary. They do not fit into any archaeological textbook or description that you'll find. Um, what, what, we, what I find there is this particular skin that grows on the tools and the artifacts, which is in archaeological and geological terms called the patina. Now, this particular patina is estimated to grow at very, very slowly, at about a thousand years or more per microscopic layer. So when you find a tool or an artifact that has clearly been shaped out of this this rock, which which we can talk about in more in much more detail, because it's a very specific rock and it's got these sound acoustic properties that are absolutely spectacular. And and if this rock, which is extremely hard, uh, it is very difficult to break, and it's highly conductive and and has. Um, very strong uh, energetic properties, which we can also talk about. Um, if this rock, if these tools and artifacts have been carved into a shape and then afterwards formed this patina skin that grows over it that is, you know, half a centimeter thick, this tells us that that original carving was done many thousands of years ago and we're dealing with more than 100, 200,000 years ago. We're dealing with those kind of numbers. And then finally, uh, the most spectacular piece of evidence, which I think is still going to send astrophysicists, uh, this is going to become the most, it's going to become like a shark feeding frenzy when this finally reaches the, the scientists that are thinking out of the box, is the fact that Adam's calendar, which we now are beginning to call Enki's calendar, the Sumerian deity Enki, because it is clear to us that it was his construction. Um, Adam's or Enki's calendar is uh, built very specifically with the cardinal points of the Earth, you know, facing north, south, east, west, with the solstices, equinoxes. There are several other features built into it, like the alignment to the rise of Orion's belt and the pyramids in the distance in the valley, the Barberton Valley below. There are three pyramids, two large and one small pyramid. They're also in So, line. Michael, we're actually uh, coming up to our first break here. It's an absolutely fascinating discussion. And we'll return to talk about Adam's calendar and this alignment and therefore the information about the age of these stones when we return. So it's Peter Tone, Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Are you looking to discover who you really are? Do you want to know your true self and your soul purpose? 
Tune in to Sacred Light Wisdom with your host, Seti Nave. Let Seti be your guide to be self-empowered and learn about the magical arts. Seti's guests are made up of practitioners, teachers, and life-minded people who are interested in more than just going through the motions. You will learn to manifest your dreams when you tune in to Sacred Light Wisdom, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Explore the infinite possibilities of the unknown. Learn about the mysterious and mythical realms through time and space. Realize your inner truth. Tune in to Spirit Walker with Dr. Jeffrey Pierce and co-host Cindy Pierce. Dr. Pierce is a true intuitive. He is legally blind, uses no cards, pendulums, or guides, and has been found to have 97% consistent accuracy based on testing by the United Kingdom Institute of Psychic Sciences Research Center. Listen for topics that others are afraid to address on Spirit Walker, Wednesday at 1 p.m. East, 10 a.m. West on 7th Wave Network. The new home for visionary positive change. 7th Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Just want to thank one of my Sponsors at this point, www.thenaturedoctor.com. New nutritious food products for conscious living. So please click on the banner or the website, www.thenaturedoctor.com. Having a fascinating discussion today with Michael Tellinger. And just before the break, Michael, you started to go into Adam's calendar, what that actually is and the alignment. So perhaps again, you could. Just describe visually to our listeners what Adam's Canada looks like and what's been discovered about the alignments uh, with the constellations and the equinoxes and solstices and how this helps us understand the age of uh, the whole stone circle. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. Um, firstly, I must say that Adam's calendar is actually not a new discovery. It is a rediscovery that was made by my colleague, uh, Johann Heiner, accidentally in uh, 2003 and he immediately realized when he saw it from the air he knew instantly that this was not just a, a normal accumulation of stones but something far more important and he spent five years analyzing it and then and measuring it and realizing that it is you know aligned with the cardinal points north south east west and then the equinoxes and solstices and and then I got involved with them in 2007 and, uh, and then began a journey of, of rapid discovery uh, because suddenly he had a partner that he could really c- communicate with. And then since then, I've sort of taken the research over and, and he's carrying on with his life and, and I'm going on with this thing um, full steam ahead. The discoveries have been so spectacular and magnificent that it boggles the mind once again. Um, <clears throat> it is a well-known site in ancient African culture. It is not something new. It is referred to by the shaman and sangomas, the wise men and the keepers of the, the lost knowledge or ancient knowledge, African knowledge. 
It's called uh, it's it's called as uh, one of the two most sacred sites on earth. Uh, it is said to be where heaven mated with Mother Earth and is directly linked to the creation of the human race. Now these are not not light things to pass on from generation to generation to keep this kind of knowledge and information. And I'll explain to you a little later, if, if, we, if, if we have time, what, you know, the deeper meanings of that. But, um, <clears throat> so, the Adam's calendar is, is, is pitched right, very high up uh, on an escarpment, looking down about a kilometer into a large uh, impact crater, uh, which is known as the Barberton Valley, a Barberton impact crater. It's billions of years old. That's where you find the, the, the oldest rocks on Earth, the other oldest rocks on Earth you find in Australia. And then here in this crater, and uh, this is why there was a lot of gold that was pushed up out of the ground and became a mining haven for the the miners in the 1800s when the gold rush happened here, just like it did in Australia and in in California. Um, and so Adam's calendar is linked is is aligned to all these, and then it's also aligned. Uh, it has these the, the the stone that marks the rise of the sun on the spring equinox in the southern hemisphere happens to be none other than a Horus statue, which in my mind and my observation and from the geological and erosion of these of these stones is older than anything else we've seen. And it tells us that it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of years old. And it's a Horus stone that marks the rise of the sun, just like Horus would mark the rise of the sun in Egypt. Um, and guess what the Horus stone is looking at? It's looking at the three stars of Orion. And right next to him are three fallen rocks that, if you lift them up, line up perfectly with the rise of Orion. And uh, unfortunately, you've got to go back. Or fortunately for us, uh, we've had two evaluations looking at uh, you know how we could possibly date this with the alignment of Orion. The first evaluation was 75,000 years ago. The second evaluation was at least 160,000 years ago. That you've got to go back for this to alignment to occur. However. The most important alignment here that we have somehow missed and didn't quite understand is what excites me most. And as I said before the break, the astrophysicists are going to have an absolute field day with us. They're going to love this because what Adam's calendar or Enki's calendar does, the north, south, east, west, the main cardinal points are not exactly aligned with today's north, south, east, west. There is a three and a quarter degree deviation in an anti-clockwise direction. Now, this is not possible. And I'm not talking about magnetic north or south. I'm talking about true north and true south, which does not move. It does not shift. The only conditions under which this can shift and has shifted is what the wonderful Charles Habgood spent his life trying to prove to the world about this thing called crustal displacement or crustal shift. Uh, and for those people that know Charles Habgood's work, he's a brilliant scientist and uh, he was strongly supported by Albert Einstein and his theories. Unfortunately, Charles Habgood is dead and he's not around to witness the fact that Adam's calendar and the alignments uh, of the north-south cardinal points is conclusive and irrefutable proof cast in stone that the Earth's crust has shifted. North-South is not where it was when this calendar site was built. And that is a spectacular discovery. And as I said, we're going to still have a, 
have a lot, a lot of work to do here. Um, and how far back in time that goes, you know, that's anyone's guess. But Habgood had a few um, predictions, but we're dealing with something that's at least 100,000 years old um, or probably a lot more. Um, then then there, finally there is one particular translation for those that follow Zachariah Sitchin's work. There is one translation that points to Enki or Ea suggests saying that Forty Shah, after arriving on earth, he built himself a special place of observing on the edge of a cliff in the deep Abzu. Now, the deep Abzu is now absolutely decoded that that is southern Africa, specifically South Africa. If they say the Abzu, they mean the whole southern African region. That's where the gold came from. And when they refer to the deep Abzu, in my opinion, they refer specifically to South Africa. And I think that's a pretty clear description that that this calendar site is probably uh, was probably constructed by the Sumerian Enki. And he's no stranger to African ancient knowledge. In African ancient knowledge, he's known as Enkai, the creator of the human race. And Adam's calendar is revered by the shaman as the place where humankind was conceived, where what they call where heaven mated with Mother Earth. And this is spectacular information. So can you tell us a little bit about that creation story and Enki and, and, and all the energies around that? Well, you know, the, basically the Sumerian tablets tell us about the Anunnaki coming to Earth looking for gold, finding it in, in, in huge amounts uh, in this place they refer to called the Abzu. So if we find uh, evidence of, you know, large amounts of gold mines, large numbers of gold mines and huge settlements of people that were mining gold, then we can reverse engineer it and figure out that this must be the Abzu. So the evidence that I've now found and put together the pieces of the puzzle, more than 10 million stone ruins, overwhelming and irrefutable evidence of gold mining everywhere, not just gold, but also other forms of mining, um, this, this suggests that there, there can be no doubt anymore where the Abzu that the Sumerian tablets keep referring to, where the Abzu was or is located, and southern Africa is that. This is where the gold mining happened 300,000, close to 300,000 years ago, and that's what the Sumerian tablets refer to. I didn't complete that sentence earlier. The calculation of 40 shah after arrival, if you utilize Zechariah Sitchin's calculations, that would amount to about 285,000 years ago that Adam's calendar was constructed. And now if you use that as a point of departure, you'll start seeing that many of the little pieces of the puzzle that you find start to fit and they actually feel fit comfortably into that time frame, which is absolutely fascinating. And apart from the, the uses that we know of for the gold, what was the, the significance and the importance of gold to those people? Well, they, they keep referring to, to using it as some sort of a, a mechanism as a protective shield. In, you know, they talk about grounding, grinding it to the finest powder, which I suspect they're probably referring to nanotechnology and, uh, and somehow using nanotechnology, suspending it in an upper atmosphere to protect their planet against uh, environmental disaster, cosmic rays, and, and all the harmful rays that come from the cosmos. Uh, and then over and above that, we we start uh, finding later when the gods in the Bible and the gods of the other ancient civilizations start talking about uh, about gold as a food source and the bread of heaven and the, the bread of God and the manna, manna from heaven. And you start realizing that, hold on, they had some sort of knowledge 
to transfer or transmutate gold, the shiny gold, into another form of gold, which today uh, is referred to as white powder of gold or monoatomic gold or orms and so forth. And and, uh, and then you start reading between the lines and, and you realize how often this stuff is referred to. Um, you know, I love the one connection, for example, that I make sometimes, and, and this is a, a wonderful one, which is just uh, could be coincidental, but I don't believe in the coincidences when you start dealing with these ancient cultures and the names and the expressions they use. I believe that there's a lot of information embedded in that. The one wonderful expression is, uh, first of all, when Moses came down from the mountain and he took the golden calf and he built, burnt it in the fire, well, what did Moses turn the golden calf into? He didn't turn it into molten gold. He turned it into white powder. And then he put the powder in the water and made the Israelites drink the water. Well, what, do, what, do, what is uh, the latest scientific feedback that we get from the secret government projects tell us about the monoatomic gold, white powder of gold, is that it is a healing, it is an absolute energy source. It restores our DNA. It heals, it heals DNA and cells and is a superconductor and does amazing things. It uh, defies gravity and so forth. And are we so, going Michael, we're actually, we're actually coming up to our second break, and that's a great place to leave it, uh, talking about the uh, powerful energies of gold. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. 7th Wave Network. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Wondering what the heck is going on on planet Earth? Feeling time speeding up but your energy slowing down? Then there are those strange physical symptoms, sudden life and career shifts, a sense of loss of identity or purpose. As we rapidly move into a new dimension, the old structures are falling away. How will we navigate what is new? After all, the Ascension doesn't come with an instruction manual. Hillary Harris hosts Ascension 360, Navigating the New World Energies, airing live Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Ascension 360. Tune in to see how it all turns out. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Listening on a Higher Dimension, 7th Wave Network.
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I want to remind you of the opportunity to tune into www.awakeningwiththemasters.com forward slash Peter, which is my personal connection to a series of shows, 37 shows of uh, spiritual leaders in the work uh, bringing forward their information. It's a free uh, opportunity to listen to these 37 interviews, so please check out www.awakeningwiththemasters.com forward slash Peter. Now returning to Michael Tellinger in this fascinating discussion. Michael, I just wanted you to comment upon your connection with the Aboriginal peoples and their knowledge of the situation that we're talking about today. Yeah, thanks, Peter. As I mentioned earlier, the the information I'm sharing with you is not new to ancient African knowledge keepers and traditional healers and shaman. uh, One of the, the, the preeminent shaman in South Africa uh, Credo Mutwa, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and having extended discussions, he gave me a lot of information about these ancient cultures and and Adam's calendar, as I mentioned, and and he made it very clear to me that it's directly linked to the origins of humankind and the creation of the human race by the gods that came down from the sky, and this is the belief system, especially what he you know he's a Zulu shaman, and he and 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 uh, and in Zulu they talk about the Abalungu that came down from the sky and created the African people to mine gold. So this is not new to the information that, this, that is kept and knowledge that is kept by the African people. It's just unfortunately what happened in this country and, and in Africa, same had happened all over the world. When the colonialists arrived here, they did their very best to beat this, these, this, this uh, native information and traditional knowledge out of the native populations, and they did a pretty good job. So that's, you know, unfortunately for people like Credo and, and many others like him all over the world that have kept the traditional knowledge um, and passed it down the generations. So, so let's move on now and talk about what you believe these structures were actually built for, what they were being used for, what they, they did. So uh, having looked at all the research that you've done and, and the I now now moving into the scientific evaluation of things, just... Help us understand what what was actually happening. Yeah, it, it was a, a stroke of, of of luck, I suppose. While I was in one of the ruins, and we were busy clearing it, cutting the grass, pulling out the weeds, so we could prepare it, you know, make it presentable to take people there and show them, so we can share this excitement with the people. And because uh, most of them are completely overgrown by grass and trees growing out of the walls and. You can hardly recognize that there's anything there, and this is why it's ignored. Mostly it's just ignored by historians and archaeologists. Um, and while we were moving the stones, I suddenly heard some of the stones clang against each other, and I heard that they ring beautifully. Like they ring like, like you hit two pieces of metal together, like bells. And then suddenly in that one moment, I had this absolute epiphany, and I realized that, hold on, we're dealing with circular structures. We're dealing with sound frequencies that are crystal pure and clear 
and I started playing and experimenting with the stones in the walls. And remember, there there are dozens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of stones in some of these circles in the walls. Some of the walls are still nearly three meters high or three meters high. Sometimes the walls are broken down and they're flat with the, with the ground. So this is the, the that's diverse in in the way that they present that they presented or how you find them. Sometimes it's covered by soil and you can hardly see them unless you look from the air. And I realized that these stones ring like bells. And I started experimenting. We started measuring the frequencies. And then I started realizing that we're dealing with a culture that used sound frequencies to generate energy. And then, and then uh, I realized that the different shapes of the stone structures, remember that we're dealing with millions of circular structures, and yet each one is completely unique. Now, that statement in itself should send, you know, warning bells or, or alarm bells and saying, well, why is that? If, if, if these guys were, you know, building mass houses, wouldn't they do it like they do in the, you know, in, in the certain parts of the world where they just build one little house after the other? If you go to some of the suburbs in the UK and New York, New York and cities around the world, you see the, you know, the apartment blocks, they look exactly the same. These guys didn't do that. Every structure had is completely and utterly unique. It's like a fingerprint. And that's, that raises a big red flag saying, what's going on here? And I immediately realized that we're dealing with the understanding of sound and frequency. And, uh, and suddenly I realized that the, the channels that link them together were probably the channels that link the, the, the energies and the sounds from one circle to the next. Then, then I discovered that some of these structures have very similar shapes um, to what is known as a magnetron. And a magnetron is a little energy-generating device. It's a, it's a high-energy, high-frequency, high-energy-generating device. Every microwave's got a little magnetron in it. It's about, you know, two or three centimeters in diameter. Uh, the Japanese used a magnetron probably about six inches in diameter uh, in, the, in the 1944 or so, with which they developed the death ray. They stole that from Nikola Tesla, and with the death ray, they were going to decimate the Allied army. Now, this just just to indicate to you how powerful a magnetron is. And when you start looking for the people that go into my website or get 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 uh, temples of the African gods, you'll see the the I'll show you how the magnetron is looks identical to some of these stone structures. So it suddenly struck me that not only were they getting energy and using sound frequencies, but are coming out of the, the ground, and I'm going to come back to that. Sound frequencies coming out of the ground, using that as, as an energy source. But they also had these magnetron-shaped stone structures with which they were amplifying these sound energies and the frequencies to incredibly high potential that we can't even begin to imagine today. Uh, and you know, some people will say, well, why did they use stone? How does stone conduct electricity and, and, and all that? I've got to point out to you that these guys did not use electricity. They used energy, a radiant form of energy, or a different kind of energy that we don't quite understand today. The same kind of thing that Nikola Tesla discovered in 1902 when, he's built, when he built his tower on, on Long Island at Widencliffe. And guess what? He used the sound frequencies of planet Earth that comes out of the surface of planet Earth, and he converted those frequencies to whatever way, in whichever way he then um, beamed that free energy to ev every person around the world. 
And T Tesla made very clear to explain to us that the sound, the earth rings like a bell and you can use the sound frequencies that come out of the surface of planet earth wherever you are and you can use that as a source of energy. You just need to plug into mother earth and you have energy. And this is what these guys here were doing nearly 300,000 years ago using exactly the same, those same principles. And well, that's, rem that's remarkable. So, uh, so, so in terms of the scientific um, application, as it were, of this, uh, where are you on that journey? Well, we, are now, we started. The reason I can be so confident about these statements is because we measured these, sound, these, these energies and these frequencies. And this is where it gets really freaky. Peter, this is where you realize that we are way behind in our knowledge and understanding of energy, of frequency, and of sound. Uh, for some of you listeners that are not aware of this, the latest developments in laser technology is no longer using light, but is now moved on to using sound. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> These guys were using sound 300,000 years ago. And, uh, and what is now no, no longer called lasers, but they're called sasers, sound amplified by emission of radiation. Um, so that's a, it's a sazer. And for the first time, uh, the, obviously, this is a very, a very uh, favorable thing with the, with the military and the weaponry. Suddenly, sound is the, the new key word. And this is what these guys were doing. They were using sound to generate laser technology, laser beams, the all kinds of tools and artifacts that are found that now absolutely make, ab there's no question about it, that these were used as components of these sazer um, uh, devices that would generate uh, or create use the, the sound energy and the frequencies that were generated by these stone circles and then focusing them through these, these uh, for example, these stones with these specific holes in them that would change one frequency to another and then focusing it through these very specific crystal-like pointed tools that were just like the crystal tip, um, the quartz crystal tip in the, in the tip of a laser beam that focuses the light and gives you the, the beam of light. And this is exactly what you find, these components of all kinds of shapes and sizes, which tells us that they use different frequencies and different lasers or sasers for different applications. And uh, we've measured these frequencies, and this is where it gets really freaky. Okay, now, the frequencies that are used in the world today are uh, when you get to about 30 gigahertz, uh, you pretty much reach the top level of of the, the, the latest technology of satellite, uh, aerospace, and so forth, 30 gigahertz. 14.5 gigahertz is the average upload frequency uh, to upload information into satellites that, that are in orbit around planet Earth. Anything up to 100 gigahertz. At 100 gigahertz, you're dealing with black uh, secret government projects and stuff we don't know much about. Anything above 100 gigahertz, as far as we're concerned, is just not, it's not used. It doesn't exist. Well, We've measured frequencies in most of the stone circles we've measured. We've measured probably about uh, just more than half a dozen so far. We measure frequencies between uh, 11.5 and 33.5 gigahertz sound frequencies. These sound frequencies uh, range uh, between about 72 decibels up to 105 decibels, at which point they are damaging to our ears and will cause permanent damage. Um, and then we measured heat signatures um, outside the circles. The heat signatures are about five and a half degrees Celsius. The moment you cross the wall inside the circle, it shoots up to 
the minimum is 23 degrees Celsius. So you go from 5 degrees to 23 degrees Celsius. That suggests that something inside the circle at, from the ground, coming out of the ground, is creating a huge amount of heat. Now, there's nothing underground. Geologically, there's nothing underground to be causing that heat. There's no volcanic activity. There's no bedrock of that nature. The only explanation we have now is telling us that the stone circles, the, the stones in the walls, are actually generating that heat signature inside the walls. And then it gets even freakier. Some, some parts we, we measure electromagnetic waves that run horizontally, and some of the circles, electromagnetic waves that run straight up out of the ground into the sky. And, uh, and uh, this, this gets really interesting and freaky when you start playing with GPSs. And I play this trick on the, the macho guys that I take to the stone ruins, and especially Adam's calendar. The moment you cross the circle and you cross into the circle at Adam's calendar, the GPS loses you and it does not find you. That is because there is a horizontal electromagnetic wave of energy that runs inside the circle of Adam's calendar. So, Michael, and, uh, we're, actually coming up, we're actually coming up to our, our final break. <laughs> I don't really want to stop you. It's just an absolutely fascinating discussion, and, and we'll continue in the last segment after this break. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. the threshold of a dream and beyond seventh wave network being here with ariel and shia kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment this show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment don't miss being here tune in every wednesday at 9 a.m pacific 12 noon eastern with ariel and shia kane right here on the seventh wave network can you define your talent in six words or less? Are you using your inner resource, intuition? Listening to Joyce Anderson of Conversations with Yourself will work your intuitive muscle to discover your divine skill. Each week, your host, Joyce Anderson, will give you practical exercises to jumpstart your intuition, to live in your talent. From sports to business to music to food, talent is everywhere. Join Joyce and her engaging guests to hear their how-to stories. Tune in to Conversations with Yourself Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network and ignite your talent. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Be Extraordinary. 7th Wave Network. You're 
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. just want to uh, thank and remind you of my main sponsor, www.myheartcenteredjourney.com. We have two programs running currently, the Love, Laugh, Learn tele-seminar series. We're now in the Heart Chakra, talking all about the love vibration this evening, and my ongoing Ambassadors of Light class on a Thursday evening at 5.30. Please go to www.myheartcenteredjourney.com for all of the information around the work that we are doing there. And now back to my guest, Michael Tellinger, today, who has been involved in uh, authoring and co-authoring three books, Slave Species of God, Adam's Calendar, and Temples of the African Gods. Perhaps, Michael, you, at this point, you could just tell us about uh, how people can access your books and your information. Thanks very much, Peter. Yeah, it's uh, Slave Species of God, Adam's Calendar, and Temples of the African Gods. Um, the last one is uh, a real journey through some uh, wonderful photographs and ev- photographic evidence of these stone circles and 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 some of the the conclusions. Um, you can go to ZuluPlanet.com. That's one of my websites. <coughs> Excuse me, ZuluPlanet.com. That's Z Z U L U Planet.com, and all, all my books are available there. Um, also um, on slavespecies.com um, if you want to go and have a look at that. And there are also some interesting photographs at uh, adamscalendar.com and just for those that want to look at some photographs of these ruins and get an idea. Um, and uh, we are having a conference here in Johannesburg uh, on the 12th and 13th of March. It's a Saturday and Sunday, two full days. It's an event called Megalithomania. It comes from Glastonbury, England, all the way to Johannesburg. And we get some awesome speakers like um, Graham Hancock, Robert Temple, uh, Andrew Collins, um, and then introducing some new people who are spectacular with their research. Uh, Klaus Donner from Austria, Antoine Gigal from Mauritius, spectacular information on, on uh, Mauritian pyramids and uh, the ancient um, uh, power sources of the Egyptian pyramids and ancient technology in Egypt and so forth, uh, and then uh, myself and a few other people, um, all on uh, 12th and 13th March in Johannesburg, Megalithomania. You'll get the information also at ZuluPlanet.com. I think I've got and, uh, Antoine, uh, actually Antoine as a guest on my show after Megalithomania in late March, and you've also got um, an upcoming tour to the U.S., that's right. I'll be coming back after our very successful tour of the United States last year. We did 26 cities. Uh, we're going to do more. We're going to do 28 cities this time around in the USA, including Vancouver and Montreal. Uh, and we're starting on the 6th of May in New York. And then uh, basically it's a, it's a whirlwind tour around the USA of 26 stops. And then, and as I said, including the two Canadian cities. Uh, all that information will also be on slavespecies.com and on zuluplanet.com, where I'll be speaking and what dates. So just um, click on there and you'll get all the info. Well, Michael, I'll definitely come and see you in Vancouver. Uh, awesome. Excellent. Yeah, I look forward to that. 
So, so, yeah. so back to, back to the research you're doing. Since the books have been written, so what what is the latest uh, update on on the research and how that's moving forward? Well, I think what the conclusion is now is that I sense that we coming to the conclusion of some really amazing some wild prophecy. You know, like we hear that the first days will be as the end days and as above, so below, all these kind of things. But I particularly like the first days will be as the end days because we're suddenly learning um, from the ancient civilizations that left behind these, um, these permanent energy devices that are still giving us energy, screaming at us every millisecond of the day with free energy. All we need to do is tap into it and understand how to use that energy the way that they used it using the natural elements of planet Earth, the rocks, the stones, that are probably the best conductors and storage of energy and were used in the most spectacular fashion for everything that these people had to do and what they needed to survive. Um, so I think that we're approaching that, you know, the 2012 shift, uh, and this is not coincidental. I believe it's happening for reasons that we don't quite yet understand. Uh, maybe some of the people understand it. Uh, I'm certainly fascinated by it and excited, enjoying the ride and making these discoveries and being able to link it to hopefully providing humanity with some badly needed um, solutions for huge problems. And energy, free energy is certainly one of those. So you see this, this uh, information and, and as we get more understanding from the technological point of view, you see this as being... Uh, an essential ingredient, as it were, in in the shift of the ages that we are we are moving through right now. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. There's uh, many psychics have told me, and I certainly sense it more and more that the more we interact with these stone circles, the more they activate our DNA and actually help us, you know, speed up the rise of our own consciousness and activating the consciousness within us and. And we ourselves help to reactivate these stone circles to continue generating and reactivate them to do whatever it is that they're doing. And I've so, had a number of psychics share that information with me. So there's sort of a synergy then, really. There's a reciprocation between the human and the stones and this yeah. consciousness back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, Peter, in another strange way, is we're looking at a civilization that existed in absolute harmony without money, uh, without any kind of hierarchical structure uh, for 270,000 years or more or less. Uh, and then uh, it vanished. And then after the flood in the last 12,000 years or so, suddenly we start seeing the whole new world order coming, the hierarchical structures. We suddenly see the introduction of money and so forth. So not only do we learn free energy from these early civilizations, but we also learn a new system of what I now call Ubuntu, the African traditional communal kind of living that everybody works for the greater benefit of all and uh, and and that's something that I've become very passionate about and written extensively about over the last six years I call it contributionism and Ubuntu it's an African name called Ubuntu where where communities start to live uh, in harmony and moving back towards unity away from this gross segregation and division that that has happened on planet earth and so, it's very exciting. Yeah. Where is the information actually around around that topic? Uh, I've created a new website called uh, contributionism.org uh, for people that are interested. I've written quite a bit about that, um, and uh, we're we're moving rapidly with that uh, uh, in South Africa 
towards actually introducing that as a political party in the next upcoming election in, in very soon in April actually. That's that's phenomenal. <laughs> so, yeah. So this really is a a, a really complete and total. Um, new way of being, connecting back to these ancient, ancient civilizations. It's a bit of a cosmic joke, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it I know. It, it, it's it's a it's a weird thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing if you if you observe it and just see what's happening. And I mean, look what's happening around the world. People have had enough. Yeah. And uh, and and you realize that the the whole money system is just an inflated, uh, false, created. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't exist, so it needs to collapse, it needs to be removed. It certainly we does. Michael, we're actually at the end of the show, I'm afraid I'm, we're going to have to go. But it's been an absolutely fascinating time with you, and I'd love to spend a lot more time uh, going over the developments as this takes place. Hopefully you'll join me again in the future on another show. Thanks very much, Peter. Great talking to you, and I certainly look forward to doing it again. Thanks so very much indeed. So we're running out of time very quickly, and just want to mention my guest next week is Greg Sams, and we're talking about Sun, S-U-N of God, a radical rethink of our sun, consciousness, our universe, and what it means for us to be alive on the planet today, which I think is very exciting. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.